Hello, church. Welcome to The Rock. My name is Josh Whitney. I'm one of the pastors. We are in our fifth and final season of Romans. This is God's service or how we can serve God. Season five goes from chapter 12 to 16. This is part 38. We're in Romans chapter 13. If you want to turn there, I titled this message, Your Government, like a PSA or something. Your Government. So Romans chapter 13 is the most complete teaching on government in the Bible. But you should not form your doctrine of government from one passage. So on the back of your handout, I listed some of the other key passages on government, plus some of the teachings we've done in the past. So study it out. But a quick definition of government before we pray and get into our verses. What is government? It's the ruling or controlling group of a nation, state, or city. It's the people in charge. It's the people that make the laws and enforce the laws which raises a bunch of questions. Who made the government? What's the job of the government? What's our response to the government? So that's where we're gonna go in this teaching, Romans chapter 13. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna jump into it. Lord, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for a chance to worship you with my brothers and sisters, Lord. We thank you for a room full of people that wanna study your word. And they want to learn. I ask God that your spirit would be moving through this room. We thank you, God, that your word is always timeless. It's always living and active. You teach us, God. Your word answers these questions. Where did the government come from and what are we supposed to do? Lord, I ask that you would speak through me to your church. We say all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let's unpack this verse. Let's start with the second phrase first. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So this is a clear teaching of the Bible, Old and New Testament. God establishes every governing authority. Let me develop this idea from the Bible. Second Chronicles 20. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Job 12, God makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. Psalm 22, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Psalm 47, God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. There's more. Daniel 2, God changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then Daniel 4 was written to the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that what? The Most High rules over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And then Isaiah 40, all the nations are as nothing before God. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. It is God who brings princes to nothing and makes rulers of the earth as emptiness. And then John 19, this is Jesus when he's standing before Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin or the greater responsibility. And then Revelation 19. 
From Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written a name, King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a lot we could say about all these verses. But the big idea is God has established every government including our government. This is clearly taught throughout the entire Bible. All authorities have been appointed by God. Now, on a side note, this should bring us incredible peace because God is ruling over every nation. There's nothing happening politically outside of God's control. Now, I should say this, just because God has established every government does not mean he approves of the actions of every government. That's important to remember. We'll develop this more in a minute. But every government official, every president, every senator, every mayor, every official, every nation, they all get their authority from God. So let's make it real. Who is ultimately in charge of, I don't know, China, Russia, Nigeria, Brazil, the United States? Well, that would be the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. That's our foundational point, and every point in this message is going to flow from this. God has established every government. You mean like all 200 countries on the planet right now? Yeah, every single one of them was established by God. God rules the nations. So what is our posture before the government? Let's look at the, verse, the first phrase of verse 1. And for the record, this verse has been obeyed by Christians for 2,000 years, living in hundreds, if not thousands of countries. So the first phrase, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. So what should our posture be before our government? The word, the phrase be subject to is a very strong phrase in the original language. It means to place under, to rank under, to obey. It was a military term used to describe a soldier obeying their commander. I need to make an important point right here. The Bible teaches children obey your parents. The Bible teaches the wife should be subject to her husband. The Bible teaches an employee to obey their boss. It teaches the church to submit to their pastors. Here, it teaches citizens to obey their government. But hear me right now, this is very important. Nowhere does the Bible say that any earthly authority is absolute. Because if an earthly authority tells you to do something that is against God's word, we must disobey that earthly authority respectfully, humbly, but our first obedience is to Jesus Christ. So over the last few years, certain Christians have used this passage right here to say Christians should obey their government in absolutely everything. But those same Christians would fall all over themselves to tell us why no husband has absolute authority over his wife. Because there is no human authority that is absolute. Everyone sins. But here in Romans 13.1, we are called to have a position of obedience in general to our government. You may be surprised to know this, but Romans was not just written to Americans living in 2024. It was written to every believer on the planet right now in all 200 countries. It's been for every believer for the last 2,000 years of church history. All people, all believers are called to have a general position of obedience to their government. This is even applicable for different types of government on the planet right now. We've got our constitutional monarchies, our presidential republics. We've got our one-party states. We've got our absolute monarchies, even our dictatorships. 
Do you understand that a Christian can live a godly life regardless of the type of government they find themselves living under? Do you believe that? I also need to say this. I love America. I am so blessed to be an American. I believe that God has placed us in one of the greatest nations in the history of this planet. We have incredible freedom in this country, incredible prosperity. We have the Bill of Rights. We have the freedom of speech and religion and press and assembly and the right to bear arms. We get to vote for our representatives. I read that we live in one of the oldest democracies on the entire planet. I saw a powerful example of this a few years ago when some of us went on a mission trip to Honduras. Tim and I stayed with a host family, and one night the father of the family told us with tears in his eyes just how corrupt their government was. And then while we were there, I saw an example of it. His business was robbed, and I asked him, are you going to call the police? And he said, what's the point? The police would do nothing. It was heartbreaking. There are so many things that we can take for granted in our amazing country. But did you know in Acts 17, it said that God picked the exact place and time that you would be born so that you would reach out and find God. So God put you in America for a reason. But again, here in Romans 13:1, we are to have a general position of obedience to our government. But I've had people tell me, even in the lobby of this church, well, this verse doesn't apply to me. I'm an American. I voted for my representative, so I'm in charge. Again, thank God Almighty, we get to vote for our representatives. But I can assure you, none of us are in charge of America. How do I know that? There's no secret service detail in this room. None of you arrived on Air Force One. No one rode here in the beast. No one has the nuclear launch codes right by you. There are about 160 million voters in our country, which is about half of our country's population. So you and I had about one in 160th millionth of a say in who would lead our country. That number would change on state and local elections, but you get the idea. You and I are not in charge because we voted for or against the current president or mayor or governor. We have a say in selecting them, but they're ruling us. So this means our second big idea, the general principle is obedience to our government. Every man, every woman, every child on the planet. The early Christians preached and lived good citizenship. Nero was the emperor when this was written, but he hadn't started persecuting the church yet very aggressively. But if you read the book of Acts, you see the early Christians were threatened and beaten and jailed and even killed. The Romans did some evil things, but in general, they advocated for law and order. So do you realize that you are worshiping God when you obey your government? So we are called to this general position of obedience or submission to our government with the safeguards I'll discuss in a minute. I like how Daniel Webster, the American lawyer and statesman said, he said, whatever makes men good Christians makes them good citizens. And it starts here in Romans 13. Some of you are thinking, well, Josh, there's been some very wicked governments. I totally agree with you. Here's one heartbreaking example. Here's an infamous photo of a couple of Nazi officers humiliating a Jew before they murdered him. So Nazi Germany would be exhibit A of a wicked, evil government. The Bible is full of stories of God removing wicked nations, wicked leaders. We see that very God is very involved in the affairs of men. There's a wicked leader, there's a wicked nation, there's a wicked country, and God removes them. God removed Herod. The king, he was eaten by worms, kind of disgusting. 
God removed Nebuchadnezzar for a season. God removed the Canaanites. God decimated the Egyptians, even the Israelites. Different kings, and sometimes the whole nation was judged by God. But why is a wicked government better than no government? Because anarchy is horrific. Imagine living in a time and place with no police, no law and order, no soldiers, no protection, marauding raiders could like destroy your home. They could rape, they could pillage, they could haul you off as a slave and nobody would stop them. It's hard to say, but an evil government is better than anarchy. So this passage tells us that God is using government to restrain evil all around the human, all around the planet. And as Christians, we rest in the fact that God is holding every government accountable for what they do. But the big idea here is that God has established every government and our general position is submission to our government. So that means, yes, the speed limit and the seatbelts and your hunting license and your property tax and your business license and your car seat and laws about crime and immigration and driving and alcohol and work and housing. There's actually no shortage of laws that we could obey. And in general, we are called to obey them. Next verse, verse two. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. So there's multiple reasons given to obey. Here, it's to avoid punishment. Later, it'll be for conscience sake. And again, we see right here, God has established or appointed the authorities. And if we resist our government authorities, we're resisting God's authority in our life. And that's gonna bring judgment into our life, either natural or or supernatural. So you might be wondering, well, what is the role or the job of our government? So these two verses are like the job description of a government. This is what a government should do. And I'm going to camp on these verses for a while, so don't stress out. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. So our third big idea, God created governments to reward good and punish evil. It's like when you're driving down the road and you pass a cop and you're speeding, you're like, uh-oh. Versus when you pass a cop and you're going the speed limit, you're like, no, good here. So a couple of comments on the words used here. First, the word servant. I underlined it here. It's twice in verse four. It's the word diakonos, deacon. In this context, the government is the deacon or the servant of God. Like our deacons in our church, they're the servants of the church or the pastors. A deacon is literally somebody who carries out the will of another. And so the government is God's agent, God's servant. Have you ever thought of the IRS agent as like God's servant? I haven't. <laughs> but these verses teach us that governments exist to serve God. Again, showing us that God is, has absolute authority over the government. So not to put too fight and point on it right now, our president... Our governor, our mayor are all servants of Jesus Christ. So what is the role of government? They reward good and they punish evil. And then you notice the word sword. How does the government ensure they're obeyed? It says they do not bear the sword in vain. The word sword in this culture meant one thing. It represented the justified taking of life. 
I read that when Roman soldiers would march into a city, they had somebody walking in the front with a sword to show everybody in the town the people that have the authority over life and death have arrived. In our modern vernacular, you might say like a police officer has a gun for a reason. Back in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, God gave the authority to governments to take life. In our creation class, in a week and a half, we're going to start covering the flood. But here's what it says in Genesis 9. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So God gave the authority to government to judge criminal matters and to punish offenders. If God wanted to demonstrate the authority of the government without this ability to punish, he would have used the word scepter. But God uses the word sword. That demonstrates the authority to punish. Now, this is not a teaching on capital punishment, but everybody reading this letter in the first century would have understood instantly what that word meant. The government has the ability to punish crime up to and including the death penalty. You might say, well, Josh, Josh, it says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. If your Bible says that, that's a bad translation. The Hebrew says, thou shalt not murder. Or you might say, Jesus said in Matthew 5, turn the other cheek. We have a new ethic as a Christian. I totally agree. As a Christian, we are called to love our enemies. But there is a difference between how an individual Christian responds and a government responds. Let's say someone stole from you. You could choose to forgive them as a believer. But if a government does that, you'll have total anarchy. You cannot have everybody taking whatever they want whenever they want it. You're talking about a breakdown of society. So again, what is the role of government? God creates government to reward good and punish evil. Again, this is a sobering indictment of the evil in people's hearts. People are not naturally good. People, we are sinners and we need authorities over us or it becomes Lord of the flies. So it is God's plan to use laws, police, the judicial system to motivate us to do good and not to do evil. But that's a pretty simple job description. Reward good, punish evil. If you're thinking, you go, well, how does the government know what is good and evil? This is not a trick question. It's the Bible. <laughs> there are a bunch of verses that teach us God's word shows us what is good and evil. We did a 12-week series of Psalm 119. Look at these verses. Psalm 119. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous. 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Pretty clear, God's word teaches us what is good. What about the flip side, evil? Psalm 119 again. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to what? To keep your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. They draw near me who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law. That's pretty clear. If you obey God's word, that's good. If you disobey God's word, that's evil. So bottom line, do you want to know what is good or evil? Study God's word. Study the Bible. Because it tells us what is good and evil. You go, wait, wait, wait. I've never read the Bible. Well, it says in Romans 2 that God's law is written on our hearts. You go, wait, wait, wait. I don't believe the Bible. It also says in Romans 2 that God is going to hold you accountable to his law. So a power review plus our next big idea. Who established every government? God. 
What is our general position toward our government? Obedience. What is the role of the government to reward good and punish evil? And here's your fourth new big idea. How does the government know what is good and evil? God's word. That fourth question is a question that wise men and wise women ponder and fools ignore. So then you might be thinking, what do I do if my government asks me to do something that is evil or they forbid me from doing good? Going back to point one, who is our highest authority? It's God. It's the king of kings. So our next big idea, when the government commands that which God forbids or forbids that which God commands, we have a duty to obey God rather than man. I want to do a brief survey of some examples in the Bible. So in Genesis 39, Joseph was sold as a slave to Potiphar. Potiphar was a high-ranking Egyptian official. Potiphar's wife orders Joseph, the slave, to sleep with her. He refuses. He runs away. He gets falsely accused of rape and sent to jail. Exodus 1, the Hebrew midwives were ordered by their government to kill the Hebrew baby boys at birth, infanticide. They didn't. They lied to their government. They protected the baby boys and God rewarded them. Exodus 2, Moses' parents, they ignored their government's order to kill baby boys. They hid Moses. And it says in Hebrews chapter 11, they were not afraid of the king's command. 1 Samuel 22, King Saul orders his guard to kill some priests. The guard refused to obey the king. Esther 5, Esther approached the king without his permission to plead for the lives of the Jewish people. It was a capital crime to approach the king without his permission. She broke the law. She did it anyway to try and save her people. Daniel chapter 3, some captured Jews were ordered by their government to worship the king as God. They refused. The king was so enraged, he threw them into the fiery furnace. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 2, the wise men were ordered by King Herod to tell him when they found baby Jesus, because he wanted to murder baby Jesus, they disobeyed the king and they left. And then in Acts chapter 5, the early Christian leaders were ordered not to talk about Jesus, not to share the gospel. They didn't obey. They went to jail. Some were murdered. They said famously in Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. And don't forget Peter and Paul, two of the early church leaders who wrote two of the strongest sections in the New Testament telling Christians to obey their government. They ultimately went to jail and were executed. We are called to obey our government, but we must ultimately obey God rather than man. So there is a line where prison and death threats do not stop true Christians from obeying God. You know, in all these examples, I was struck by the seriousness of the offenses that the believers stood up against. They didn't disobey their government for like trivial matters or personal issues. They disobeyed their government for God's reasons. I want to highlight one story of disobedience. It's in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel was a Hebrew captive. He was a high-ranking government official. He was about to become the number one official in the Babylonian Empire. But the other leaders were jealous of him. They tried to take him down. They realized the only way they could take him down was in obedience, Daniel's obedience to God's word. So they approached the king. They said, hey, king, we've got a great idea. Next 30 months, everybody prays to you instead of their God or we kill them. King's like, I love it. 
Kings have delusions of grandeur. So here's the key verse, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel knew the law, but he still prayed in front of his window. Some might say, bro, go to your basement. Like, close the window. Like, pray in your head. Like, don't get down on your knees, man. That's super obvious. Be subtle, bro. Dan's like, no, that's what I do. I pray to God. I pray to God in front of that window three times a day. That's what I've done for years, and nothing is going to change that. You know the rest of the story. The king finds out he's in rage. Not that Daniel broke the law, but he has to kill one of his best leaders. But God miraculously saves Daniel's life. The next morning, the king throws the other officials into the lion's den. Again, our big idea here. When the government commands that which God forbids and forbids that which God commands, we have a duty to obey God rather than man. We should be so thankful. Our country was founded on biblical principles. We have this incredible heritage in this country, even if we take it for granted. But things can get inverted. I think of Isaiah 5. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good. I've had more and more conversations with Christians who see this happening. I read news stories about good being called evil or evil good. Just a few examples I'm going to show you here. The implications of these stories is that Christians are going to be increasingly called to make decisions like Daniel did in chapter 6. Here's one last year in England. This woman was arrested for praying silently outside of an abortion clinic. She did just pray in her head, and they arrested her. This one in Finland recently, this woman was charged with a hate crime because she posted some verses. I will not begin to pronounce her name down there. Anyway, she posted verses from Romans online, and she was charged with committing a hate crime. She was acquitted, which is good news, but the Finland prosecutor said they're considering challenging this acquittal. Recently in Canada, in the last few weeks, there's been a lot of debate about parental rights. What do parents' rights? This guy right here, he's a member of parliament. He said there is no such thing as parental rights in Canada. So if you're a Canadian parent trying to raise your kid in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, oh, you don't have the right to do that. The state will decide what you do with your kids. This is an older story. This is from Houston a few years ago. There was an anti-discrimination law. The mayor of Houston, she asked to review some Christian pastor's sermons. Hey, hold up, hold up. You can't preach that. The mayor would like to review your sermon. You guys remember COVID? Anybody remember COVID? We were blessed to live in Utah. We had the freedom to meet as a church throughout COVID. But there were some states in our country where they told churches they could not meet. Churches sued and went all the way to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said the churches had the right to meet, which is good news. But again, there were states in our country that said churches cannot meet. But ironically, the liquor stores were open in some of those states and strip clubs. Try to meet as a church and you get arrested. So what if the state tells you you can't pray in your head or it says you can't talk about the Bible publicly or you have no right to raise your kids how you want to raise them or we'd like to review your sermon before you preach it. 
or you can't meet as a church. What do you do? We must have a discerning mind, a biblical mind to live in this world. When do you speak up? When do you hold your tongue? What do you say? What don't you say? Do you violate the law? Do you go stealthy or underground? Again, we're so blessed to live in this country. Many of us have never even had to think about these questions, but Christians have wrestled with this stuff for millennia. I'm reminded of back in ancient Rome, early Christians, many of them are required. They said, take a little bit of incense and offer it on the altar and say, Caesar is God. That's easy. God knows your heart. There were Christians who chose to die rather than do that. Or this, this is a picture of underground Roman catacombs or tombs. During some of the persecution of Christians in the third century, Christians met secretly underground to avoid persecution and being killed by the Romans. Jump all the way forward to Nazi Germany. Uh, the Nazi government told the German Christian churches, oh, you got to put up picture bust of Hitler and you got to put up swastikas and these are the people you're allowed to put in your have in your church and here are the people you're not allowed to have in your church and most of the German churches just went right along with it. There are a few churches that said, you can't tell us how to church <laughs> and there were people that got killed because of that. In America, I think of Rosa Parks Back in the South, in the days of segregation, blacks were required to sit on the back of buses, but one day she refused to move to the back. You guys know about Rosa Parks. Did you know she was a Christian? She said prayer and the Bible were part of my everyday thought. She attended a church her entire life. She's like, that's an evil law. I'm not moving. Or I think of the modern Chinese house church movement. There might be hundreds of millions of Chinese Christians meeting in illegal house churches in China right now. Well, there's an official state church. Just go there. No, no, the state doesn't tell the church how to church. There are many powerful examples of this. I don't have time to cover. But on some of these responses, they are matters of conscience. Some Christians go, you know what? We're just going to flee. Other Christians go, we're going to go underground. Other Christians go, we're going to stand up and we're going to be in your face about it. I want to recommend one book. It's on your handout on the back there. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography by Metaxas. It's a powerful story. He was a German pastor in Nazi Germany during World War II. There was a season where he fled Germany and then he went back and he resisted the government stealthily. And then he publicly stood up to the government. And he got arrested and executed. He was a man of faith who really wrestled with these questions of obedience and disobedience in the face of an evil government. So people are called to resist their government when it forgets their God-given role of promoting good and punishing evil. Let's move on. Next verse, verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. It's a powerful verse. You avoid punishment by obeying the government, but there's a higher motivation. It's your conscience. God has asked me to do some things here. This is challenging for us as Americans because we're like, we're Americans. Nobody tells us what to do. But as American Christians, we realize obeying God is more important than our freedom at times. So we submit to our government not to violate our conscience. Do we think God's laws are suspended because we were born in America? Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So God commands us to pay taxes. If you're like me, you don't like paying taxes. 
You know that Jesus paid taxes. I put a couple of references on your handout. Matthew 17, he paid the religious tax. Matthew 22, he paid the government tax. The Romans had property tax, population tax. They had local taxes. There's a practical reason for this. It takes money to build roads and pay the police and fire and protect our country. So Christians should not be part of tax fraud. You're a good citizen. You pay your taxes. Be innocent as doves, but shrewd as serpents. You pay the legal minimum. And for the record, the Roman government did not use their money for good causes, and God judged them for that. So if you don't like what is being done with the tax money in our country, then by all means, please vote for people that use the tax money for godlier purposes. For example, I think of taxpayer-funded abortions. The people responsible for that will be judged by God. It's interesting here, the word used is a word used to describe a conquered people paying tribute to the country that conquered them. So that's like literally the worst. And then our last verse, verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. So we talked about the financial piece of this, but let's talk about the respect and honor piece. Quick commercial. The pastors, we decided to do a six-week series on politics after we finish Romans. Here's a little AI art for you all. So in June, we're going to do six weeks on the Bible and politics and the upcoming election, just kind of in preparation for all of that. But let's talk about respect and honor. Respect and honor your leaders. Actually, we'd prefer to insult and ridicule our leaders. That's the American way. It's our, one of our most popular forms of entertainment, mocking and trashing our government. I would suggest President Biden... President Trump, President Obama, President Bush were probably the four most mocked and ridiculed people in our country over the last 20-some years. But here, we're called to respect and honor. Now, I need to say this. We should speak up against evil. We've seen powerful examples of that even tonight in the Bible and in history. But I'm not talking about being silent in the face of evil. I'm talking about showing supernatural respect and honor to the leaders that God has put in our lives. I think King David was a powerful example of this. Before he was king, Saul was the king. Saul became very wicked. He tried to murder David. But David called Saul God's anointed. He even had a chance to kill Saul. He did not. He left it to God's judgment, and God killed Saul. Well, that's not the American way, David. We exact our vengeance. We get our pound of flesh, or at least we cancel you. So the question is, when someone does something that we do not like, how do we show respect and honor in the things that we say and post and repost? At a minimum, we should speak about our leaders in a respectful way, and we should pray for them. 2 Timothy 2, we're going to get to this in June. We should pray for our leaders. We should pray they get to know the Lord if they don't. We should pray they make wise decisions. We should pray they have godly counselors around them. At a minimum, we should pray that their policies do not hurt Christians. But what words describe your communication about the government? Respect and honor or mocking and memeing? So we bring this to a close. Let's go to Romans 14, jump ahead a chapter. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. 
So a day is coming. It could be tonight. It could be in a hundred years. But there is a day coming when every king, every leader, every person on the planet who has ever lived will bow before Jesus. And we look forward to the day that Jesus is returning to reign and rule and establish the perfect government, our final big idea. Are you prepared to bow before Jesus? I trust you are. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are in charge of every single government on this planet. I thank you, God, that that gives me peace, that gives us peace, God, that there is nothing happening on this planet that is outside of your control. We rest in that. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be remarkable in how we obey and respect and honor the leaders that you have put in our lives. Lord, we pray for supernatural grace. God, give us courage and discernment to speak up when they say and do evil things. Give us wisdom and understanding to know when and how we need to obey you rather than men. And God, we thank you that you are coming back to reign and rule and judge this world, Lord. We look forward to the day when we have the perfect king who loves us perfectly and rules justly. And we say all this in Jesus' name, amen.